Uh, today's reading is Deuteronomy 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless, guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Most of come and uh, most of come and talk to us now. Thank you, Jack. Um, at the end of the talk today, there's going to be a chance for you to ask questions or give us your insights. But some people don't like to do that publicly, so we've got a great app that we started using over the pandemic, but it's very useful uh, for us for this, called Slido. If you go to slido.com and enter that code that's on the screen, then feel free during the sermon or at the end to type in a question or a comment, some prophetic insight for us to something that I've missed. And then at the end of the service, we'll talk about those. If we don't get to them all, we're, our plan is on Sunday evenings in June to do some uh, thinking and praying about this whole issue of work and rest. So anything we don't get to, we will pick up on Sunday evenings over June. So do use your phone to do that if you would like to. I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for the gift of Sabbath that you give us. And we pray today you would help us understand and obey, help us understand and know how to live by this word in our time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I am confused by art galleries. Uh, sorry, I know I'm supposed to be all culturally engaged and everything, but uh, I go to art galleries, I look at one picture that someone has painted and I think that's very clever. But I have something that size on my wall at home and it has moving pictures. So, you know, what's the big deal? Not just moving pictures, but like a hundred channels I can choose from. And I'm supposed to spend an afternoon looking at like single paintings. Now someone can come and tell me off afterwards. The room I feel most confused by in the art gallery is this room. 
the marble statues room. I mean, I can see it's an amazing feat that someone was able to produce that out of a piece of stone. Amazing. But I do find there's so, so many sort of clenched buttocks you can look at as part of a day art, which is what they all are, aren't they? Standing with their muscles clenched. Anyway, a beautiful marble statue is, though, the best picture that I've found of what's going on in this bit of the Bible. But it's someone else's picture, it's not mine. We're looking at these 10 words to live by. The Bible never uses the word commandments for them, but words that call this new nation brought out of slavery into a new place to a totally different way of life. 10 words for them to live by. But you may have noticed, even as Jack read to us today, that there is a lot of do not. Do not do that. If Moses had worked in a primary school today, he might have been told to use more positive and affirming language. Do not worship idols. No, 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 Moses, that's not going to pass your PGCA. Say, try worshipping God. Or, you know, do not murder. No, 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 Moses, try saying, try not to kill anybody. But anyway, what we have is a lot of negative commands. Eight of the commandments are about getting rid of things. Do not. But then in the middle, we have these two positive commands, things to do, not things not to do. If you understand that sentence, well done. And the picture that I, we get there is that uh, this piece of marble, this piece of stone, the negatives are cut away. Don't worship the wrong God. Don't harm other people. Don't use others as targets for your jealousy. They're chopped away. What beautiful statue are you left with in the middle? When sin, when wrong stuff is put to death, what beautiful positive vision of life are you left with? And that's where we get these two positive commandments, number four and number five. Honour the Sabbath day of rest and honour your parents. God's picture for this new community is one of rest from slavery, where generations have harmony between them. Can I say that was unlike anywhere else in the ancient world when these commandments were given. Anywhere in the ancient world you would have gone, you would have found a very small group of very rich people, royalty in their hangers-on, who never worked. And everybody else, who was essentially a sort of serf or a slave, they just had to work all the time. And when they ruled the working class, their useful, usefulness was gone. So no one lived very long. Let them die. But here, Israel was going to be an oasis in the world, where everyone, did you notice, even slaves, even animals are granted the gift of rest at the command of their God and where every family honours those before them as they get older. They were going to be a billboard to the world of the God they served. Now, applying these 10 words is complicated in a world where we are not all in one country with one shared faith. That's not where we are. And Jesus specifically warns us against trying to get the government to enforce God's law. And yet, undoubtedly, these aren't random words. 
God gives them because he wants this nation to reflect his character to the world. They're, they're features of what he likes, so we can't get rid of them. But putting them into practice now is different. In fact, when Jesus came along, he did say, uh, everything about the law still stands that you've been given before, but it is different now. Everything changes. The picture keep, that keeps coming to me is this. A beam of the commands go through time, and then Jesus is like this prism. The command hits Jesus, and it spreads out into a rainbow of beautiful effects in our lives, people who trust him. We don't just have the law. We have Jesus, and the law, as it goes through Jesus, turns into something better and more beautiful. And that is never more true than with this commandment. Now, I was brought up in a family that took this commandment very seriously. To be honest, it became a day, Sunday, surrounded by strange and arbitrary rules. I often mock my parents about this. There was one record, and it was a record, an LP we were allowed to listen to on Sunday, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, because it's from a Bible story. Everything else, not allowed. But I want to say, as this command hits Jesus and comes out the other side, we don't end up with something strange or random. We end up with something beautiful, this light of God's rest falls on us. So here's the first thing we see, rest from your work. Here's a question, why is everyone so miserable? Why is everyone so easily offended? Why can't we just have a disagreement without you saying that it's because I hate you? Why can't I just accept some things I tried failed once without mourning and worrying and going over it all the time? Why can't I escape feeling inadequate or lost or guilty? And the Bible says all of those things are true of all of us because we are slaves longing for rest from our labour. Israel had worked under an evil king called Pharaoh and God had brought them out of that place of slavery into a place where rest is a possibility. We see that in verse 15. Work can stop every week. And this rest that they've been brought to, it is to be marked by everyone. And did you notice the least people are the ones who get the special mention? You're not allowed to like rest yourself and pass the work on to your children or onto your slaves or onto your animals. Everybody is to enjoy this rest, particularly those who are most likely to be exploited. There's no more Pharaoh. Don't bring his practices back. And I guess that class divide as who really gets to rest still exists today. But this idea of God's rest doesn't just mean not working. The first time this word was given in Exodus chapter 20, it's not given in reference to the escape from Egypt, but to the way the world was created. If you read the account of how God created the world, he rested on the seventh day. Now, God does not get tired. He did not create the world and say, well, that was good, now I need a breather. It's a picture of the fact that when God made the world, there was, before people broke it, a state of perfect relationship with God where the world was done. 
and all there was was enjoyment and glory. And people were invited into that rest of God. And now this new nation is invited into that rest of God for one day every week. This, in this newly birthed country, freedom from slavery and the enjoyment of God's goodness was just to be part of life for everybody once a week. I guess at first they couldn't believe it. I don't have to be commanded to do that. Just enjoy the freedom that it brings. And notice it wasn't just a nice thing. You know, ooh, we get, we get a day off. It protected the poor from exploitation. When life is 24-7, it's the poorest people who suffer. I had a friend once who lived right in the middle of central London. And out of her window of her flat, you could see into the offices of these really high-flying law firms. And you could see the lawyers staying there till late, and they heading off home, 10 o'clock. But if you got up early in the morning, who did you see there at four in the morning doing the work? Cleaners. Badly paid people. The poor. They're always the people who suffer when life is 24-7. But even though they were granted this privilege, later on, the prophets record them saying, uh, sort of complaining about it. Um, uh, this is what God says to them in in because they started ignoring the Sabbath, God says to them, hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? I.e., we want money so much, the economy is driving us, we want more stuff, we'd rather just scrap this opportunity to enjoy God and rest, and behave like we're slaves again. And of course, if the wealthy do that, the traders, the people who've got stuff to sell, that imposes that on everybody else. Like the lawyers and the cleaners. Free people can still choose slavery. Well, then Jesus comes along and he says, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He's not saying that out of nowhere. The God who offers the Sabbath is offering a powerful and life-changing picture. Jesus offers the reality. Jesus is offering a whole lifestyle of being free from the labour that is so heavy to us. It is hard work, isn't it? Trying to be brilliant and important. And Jesus says, you don't need to try. You're just loved and accepted. Have a rest. It is hard work, isn't it, being offended and threatened by people all the time. Jesus says, well, have a rest from it. Have an identity that is safe, a relationship that is secure, that you really do not need to worry what people think of you anymore. Have a rest. It's hard work, isn't it? Feeling constantly not good enough. Trying to prove I am good enough. It is labour, feeling guilty and revisiting all the times the things I've done to hurt others. It's hard work, isn't it? Trying to muster up self-esteem so that I feel like a worthwhile person. It's draining. Jesus says, have a rest. 
Feel free to forget yourself. You're just made right, able to serve others. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection does for us. So many Christians, though, are like the people then. Can we just, though, get back to trading grain? People are listening to me today and saying, yes, stop telling me to rest in Jesus. I do actually really need this person to like me. Stop telling me to rest in Jesus. I actually need this relationship to function. Stop telling me to rest in Jesus because everyone on Instagram is having a better time than me. And that way, craziness lies. It was my birthday this week. I turned 44. Uh, I think this type of thinking, not resting in Jesus this way, is where midlife crises come from. I can feel myself going back to that slavery. I've not achieved everything I should have done. Jesus says, have a rest. Live enjoying God's character. Stop saying, give me a Pharaoh, please. And it's true, if you're living that way, any one of those ways that I've described, not resting in Jesus, I guarantee you're imposing that grasping slavery on everybody around you as well. Now, I don't want to minimize at all the actual terrible experience of slavery that many people have by comparing it with my, you know, self-esteem problems. Slavery is a blight on the world, and here are the roots why Christians can't be for slavery without being hypocrites. But some of the most beautiful, instructive, worth listening to voices in the Christian world are people who've been slaves. And I wonder, did this promise ring hollow to them that Jesus will give you rest? Well, it didn't because later on in the Bible, it says a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. The Sabbath pointed to a rest that we all get in a new creation that God is bringing. Even if we're crushed now by the work we need to do to survive. The slaveries we experience are only ever the smallest echo of that terrible evil of slavery. It's interesting that slavery seems to emerge everywhere, even in societies where people say it's wrong. You still find slaves. shows the radical nature of this command because we all prefer to make someone else do the work so that we have leisure. It's only the God of the Bible we meet in Jesus who says that everyone is made in his image, no matter their status. And across society, they should all have rest. And that's a picture of the eternal rest he promises, the hope for the enslaved now, and the responsibility to fight slavery on anyone who believes in the God of the Sabbath. The Sabbath and the laws that went with it were an invitation in history to a world, a life, where people are made to be free from pharaohs and enjoy God's perfection and trust God to work, uh, to work and rest. A society where the poor and the immigrant have that right as much as the rich. That's the beautiful sculpture that emerges as wrong stuff is lopped off. And Jesus makes that same invitation for life now. Oh, it's a battle to trust his words, this eternal invitation to a new creation. We're always looking for pharaohs to control us. 
But if we're honouring the Sabbath and we travel through Jesus, the light we find on the other side is the rest that he offers. But you're probably asking, what about actual days? When we travel from this command through Jesus, are Christians still supposed to be doing this? Keep a special day in the same way that's still commanded to worship God. Well, Christians over the ages have disagreed about this. I think uh, a really important verse in the New Testament is this one in Colossians 2, where Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. You are not allowed to judge me if I don't keep a Sabbath. Now, you might be saying, yes, but you're not supposed to judge for anything, are we, as Christians? No, no, that's not quite right. The church is supposed to make moral judgments about particular things. If you come to church and you're doing one of the other things in the Ten Commandments, you're worshipping another god or you're lying or stealing, it is our job to say to you, you should stop that. But that doesn't seem to be the case about Sabbath days. And that's hardly surprising because, remember, the early Christians were the poorest in society. Slaves, mostly. And it was a society that didn't recognise this law. So how could they possibly have kept a Sabbath? They couldn't have. If Paul had given the command to say you must keep a Sabbath, that would have been the fast track to execution for most of them. Now, some people in our church are still in that position. Our economic (laughs) capitalist pharaoh means they have to work when they're told. Sometimes multiple jobs just to avoid starving or freezing. As a church, we should do something about that. But it is not our job to add to those people's burdens by saying, you're not keeping a Sabbath. But one in seven remains a principle embedded in creation that's good for us. There's no law in the Bible that says I should go to sleep every night. But it's just embedded in creation that that's a good thing to do. And it seems to me that taking one day a week away from normal work to enjoy God's gifts and to worship God is a very good idea. I have no right, according to Paul in Colossians, to judge you if you decide not to do that. It's interesting, the last time I gave a talk on this, a few years ago, someone came out past the door to me afterwards and said, oh, I don't want you to know, but I'm going back to the library to revise for my exam. I am not allowed to judge you for that. In fact, it's stronger than that, isn't it, Paul? He says, don't let people judge you for that. So don't creep out me past the door, allowing me to judge you. That's your responsibility and you're not to do it. And it's not the way commands like this work, isn't it? You know, you can't command people to enjoy something. (laughs) Maybe you've cooked, you know, food for your children and you've discovered that. You make them something very nice and they don't like it. You can't say, you will enjoy it. It's not a command that can be responded to like that. So I don't think the Sabbath sits over us that way now. But if we read God's law, one in seven for rest and worship is foundational for the world and how we are made and how God's made everything. 
And it's surprising to me how many mature Christians do not think that's true and that they are the exception. And they can work seven days and it will have no impact on them. I once went to uh, see some training by a Christian psychiatrist for pastors. And he said this, everyone I have treated for psychiatric problem was not taking one day from their normal work per week. And he was like, it's not a scientific experiment. There is no control. I'm just telling you that it's true. And it's not just in the passage, did you notice, about stopping work. It's about having a day that's holy to the Lord. Now, I don't think for us that means Christian activities all day. It's doing what's restful, that's not your normal work, but with a heart that is towards God. Enjoying God's gifts with a heart that is thankful to him. Entering that seventh day of creation where with a Godward heart, we enjoy the good things that he's made. Maybe you're listening and saying, I can't. Like I say, there is a group of people who can't. Talk about that in a minute. I think there's quite a lot of people who say that they can't, but they could. It is not that you will starve if you don't work every single day. It's not that really you will get sacked if you don't take that call or answer that email. It's not that you'll fail your exam if you don't rush straight off to the library after church. It's not anything except your own pride that makes you take that slot on the on-call rota. It's just that you've allowed other pharaohs in to call the shots. Ruled by parental expectations or colleagues' opinions or career expectations, bought into the working practices of places that have no respect for God, but they are controlling you. Can I say this is especially true if either you really love your work, which some people do, I know, or you're doing work that people view as really valuable, you know, good work. It's easy to tell, you know, like evil capitalists, isn't it? Like, take a day off from oppressing us all. But if you're, you know, a nurse or a pastor or something like that, those tend to be the people who are worst at really thinking this is something they should do because, you know, my work is so valuable. But listen, you are not God. The world will still function if you stop. And if you're worried about the effect on your colleagues, can I say stopping might be the best possible witness to your colleagues that you're not ruled by that system and you're demonstrating a new and refreshing way of life. You're opening that possibility up for to busy people. I don't think the Sabbath now uh, goes on to Sunday. Obviously, the Sabbath would have been Saturday for Jewish people. I don't think you can map that straight onto Sunday. If you want my advice, and again, I can't judge, for most people taking Sunday as a Sabbath is a very good idea. I did once meet some people who said, oh no, we don't go to church because we take Saturday as a Sabbath and then we have no time to come to church on Sunday. So I don't think that's really in the spirit of it. Clearing a day to worship with God's people And for hospitality and enjoyment of hospitality, maybe you could come to church morning and the evening, have a nap, play a game, 
worship and enjoyment, the Bible just suggests that's a healthy pattern. For some people, it's impossible because of shifts or whatever. Well, let's do it another day. Rest and worship. I hope you can hear me talking here as a pastor and not a pharaoh. I don't want to tell anybody off. I just want to say there is relief. Under God, you are not indispensable. And you get this chance to model, like Israel, the rule of a better God. You will harm yourself if you're always fighting against this creation pattern. And so if you can take control, then why not take it? If you're struggling to sort that out with your life, there is a little tip in the passage. Six days you shall work. If you are a student or a pastor or you're unemployed. So your work isn't dictated by anybody else. You just sort of have to decide when to do it. It's easy to fall into what I call, I talk to our staff team about this all the time, grey time. I'm not really working, but I'm also not really resting. I'm sort of working and sort of not. I'll go out for lunch with friends, but then I'll just check my emails. Of course, the great creator of grey time is social media, but let's not get into that too. The Bible says, work hard for six days you'll have room to properly rest for one. Space to worship, to have, go and do things. If you're always in grey time, you'll find no time for friendships, no time to breathe, no time for family. So without judgment, I invite you six days to do your work and one to rest. However, this was a social command and we don't just want to turn it into a personal well-being tool. Um, note the long list of people you are not to get to do work for you on the Sabbath. The command is not just personal. It's a whole social system where rest is granted. And I think what the command is saying is learn to spread rest when you go through Jesus and go out the other side. There are people today, people I deeply respect, who work very hard not to create work for others on Sunday. So they choose not to go shopping or to the pub or whatever. And I really respect that because, you know, those leisure activities are often at the expense of very poorly paid people, like people who work in shops and pubs and stuff. However, I've got to say it's unlikely to make much difference. We live in a secular country. God's people are scattered so if your conscience tells you not to do that, I totally respect you, but I'm not sure it's going to bring Sabbath rest to many other people. If Jesus brings us rest and we're taking one day in seven to enjoy rest and worship Jesus, I wonder if the picture here is saying is if you do that, you will become the type of person who spreads God's rest wherever you go. I was talking to a medical student recently in church with whom there are, you know, several hundred. And uh, I was talking to them about going on placement. And they said, placement basically depends, how good it is, basically depends entirely 
on what the people who are in charge, consultants, ward managers, senior nurses, what they're like when you get there. The placement entirely depends on that. If those people love power and they're constantly stressed, labouring to show they're important, then it's miserable. But if you here in this church, and there are some of you too, wield that type of power, and you're someone who's enjoying the rest of Jesus, and you're regularly taking time to rest yourself and worship him, what you will bring to those people weaker than you is rest. It's true in classrooms and in families, I guess, particularly dads can create a home that is highly stressful for others because of their own personal struggles. And we've got thinking to do here. We have a pharaoh economy pushing people into wage slavery where no rest is allowed. If you're a Christian entrepreneur or business person, can we think of beginning a new way where people are treated fairly and given space for rest? I'm clueless about that, but if I can help you start that new movement, I'd love to. Homes to provide rest for foreigners. Social time to include people. It's not just about a day, it's about a life that thinks, I have been given this rest by Jesus. How can I enjoy it so it overflows to others? The command goes through the prism of Jesus and the rainbow that rests from self-justification, that enjoys a day to worship God, that spreads rest for others. What a beautiful rainbow comes out the other side. People who know that rest that comes from Jesus, who take a day in seven to worship and enjoy that rest, those people are now scattered into the world, ruled by pharaohs, but wherever they go, they bring peace and rest to anyone they have power over. That's the way that Christians live in this commandment.